Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm your host, Chef Wannan. And I'm Ty Kersley. This show is Pride. Happy Pride, Chef. Happy Pride, Ty. This week, Willie Edwards talks to the incomparable Jim Farratt about his early days of activism and today. Then later, I talked to J.W. Walker about this year's Queer Liberation March and how GAG is bringing attention to trans lives lost by gun violence. But first, the In Memoriam. Today's In Memoriam will be read by Tigger James Ferguson. Tigger created the concept of human beings following the massacre of 49 people at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, Florida, five years ago on June 12, 2016. Tigger, how did that concept come to you and what does it mean? I'd done political actions and memorials, a lot of them, you know, lived through uh, a lot of years of the AIDS crisis. And this just felt different. I felt like we needed to do something to disrupt the pride so-called parade with real grief and real recognition of what was happening. And so I talked to my husband about it and we both felt like people needed to experience what the absence of 49 people looked and felt like. So we wanted to just take over a part of the parade and have 49 people standing in for people. Since we're standing in for them, it's not about us. So we needed ourselves covered. So we decided to veil. So we knew we wanted 49 of us dressed in white to just be there and covering our faces and holding up the faces of the people who should have been able to enjoy their pride and never could again. You will now be reading the In Memoriam for Alexis Kimmy Icon Braxton. In remembrance of Alexis Kimmy Icon Braxton, 45 years old, February 4th, 2021 in Miami, Florida. Alexis Braxton, who was also known as Kimmy Icon Braxton, was a hairstylist and shared in her Facebook profile, I'm a trans living my truth. And in a recent post, they can't stop my shine. An attack that a police detective described as very vicious and violent, has authorities searching for her killer after Braxton was found shot to death in her Miami apartment. I was calling her all that day, shared the victim's mother, Tatiana Braxton. With no response, her concern led her to grab her other daughter and go to the apartment, where the women's suspicions led them to alert police who encountered the crime scene. Whoever did this, you need to come forward, said Nikki, Braxton's sister. You hurting our family. You hurting everyone around us. And we want to know why. Why? Why would you do it? What would the reason be for you to do such a crime and do such an act on a beautiful person? In a statement to HRC, her mother referenced the 1999 death of a friend and said, 22 years later and black trans women's lives are still not valued. In 1999, I witnessed my best friend get murdered in the streets of Miami. 
Sadly, since her murder, I've lost many more friends due to senseless violence. Here we are in 2021. It's my daughter, Kimmy. There's one thing that remains the same. Law enforcement, state officials, and local politicians have no sense of urgency to address this growing epidemic. Please help us. Thank you. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show, here in listener-sponsored, commercial-free Radio WBAI. For our special report, here is Libby Edwards again with Jim Farratt. Our next guest is Jim Farratt, who has been a very major leader in the gay movement for many years. Did your involvement start with Stonewall or before Stonewall? I've been, uh, I came out in 1965. I was very active in the movements that preceded the Stonewall Rebellion, the anti-war movement in particular. The homophobia was all over the place. It was on the left, it was on the right, it was in the government. And somehow I just, you know, uh, I stuffed it in a way. And because there were more important issues like stopping the war in Vietnam. By happenstance, I was uh, coming home from a job I had at, at, at CBS Columbia Records working for Clive Davis. Uh, it was about 10.30. So I'm, I get out of the subway and I turn it, and I live very close to Christopher Street. I live on Waverly Place and Waverly Place and Christopher Street cross just before the Stonewall Inn. And I saw parked in front of the Stonewall Inn a police car. And being a good 60s radical, I wanted to know what the hell was this police car doing in front of the Stonewall Inn. I, I, I walk down to see what's going on. And just as I get in front of the Stonewall, the door opens and comes out a cop with this woman. And the woman is maybe five foot five or four and stocky and, and complete male drag. At the time that that person would have been called uh, in a not nice way, a bull dyke, but the, the proper word to use for her was she was a passing woman. She passed as a man if you looked at her. I mean, this is, I'm gonna use the language of that time rather than the language of today, because it really, I think need to be respectful to the culture that precedes today. Um, and, you know, during the course, in that first night, there were, at best, maybe 300 people at its peak, but at that hour, at 10.30, 10.45 to 11, there were very few people, but there were people on the street. When they put the woman in the police car and that cop went back inside, she, true to her gender expression, started rocking, rocking the police car. Uh, it started to tip, it didn't tip over, but it started to tip and one of the doors was not locked and it popped open much to her surprise and much to our glee. We cheered and cheered and she bounced out and sort of, you know, again, pushing against the car and making a tip. That was the flashpoint moment, at least for me. Everything changed because I looked at the, at the gay men and it was mostly gay men uh, that were there and I saw them fully dimensioned 
I didn't see them as objectified as sex creatures or things like that. And it was an extraordinary moment for me to realize that you could integrate your sexuality and your personhood. Were there particular women involved in what became the movement after Stonewall? From the very beginning, women lesbians were involved because Betty Friedan had just kicked them all out at the uh, saying that they were the lavender menace. And the truth was Betty was, and Betty also deserves credit for what she did, uh, not for about the lavender menace, but she was terrified that the homophobia in men wouldn't, would, 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 would come up against what women's liberation was trying to accomplish. And she was afraid that if they knew there were lesbians in the women liberation movement, and there were many, trust me, uh, that, the, that the men would just dismiss it as a bunch of man-hating dykes. Uh, and uh, you know, the only man-hating women that I've met in my life have usually been women who are heterosexual and fed up with the way they were being treated by men. Lesbians, on the other hand, could care less about most men. It wasn't, they didn't, they hated them. They were concentrated on women. And that's, that's just nature as it goes. So yes, and it's there that I learned about feminism. I have to tell you, it has been the filter from the rest of my life about how I look at politics. And I am so grateful to those women who came into GLF, taught us consciousness raising, taught us how to uh, look at the world, you know, not single issue. Uh, to have, our politics were multi-issue and this is a big difference between the Mattachine Society, pre-Stonewall and the Gay Activist Alliance, which came a little bit after uh, the Gay Liberation Front. We were multi-issue. No one can be free until we're all free. And I still believe that. <laughs> and um, how do you see all of that happening today? Oh, today, uh, the, today, uh, you know, it's a very dangerous time, regardless of the advances that we've had made as a community, a diverse community. Uh, in, in fact, some of our visibility has made it such a dangerous time. The Supreme Court is about to make a decision about choice and the right of women to control their bodies. Well, the right of women to control their bodies also impacts essentially on gay and lesbian people and how we live our lives in our bodies. It also impacts on trans people. If you lose control of your body, that you are not ultimately the person responsible for your body and, your, and the choices you make. And I'm a big one on making sure that people make informed choices, not emotional choices. That gets me in trouble sometimes. But I really think, bottom line, at the end of the day, that everyone has the right to control their body. So that is a big conflict today. You see it in the, in the debate about sports. Um, um, which we're not going to talk about now. You see it in the, in, in the date about presentation of body. You see it in the, the identity issues. Uh, all of those I wish that we could talk hours about, but we can't. But no, it's dangerous time. All those Republicans and the 70 million people that voted for Donald Trump, not all of them, but a good portion of them, 
don't want us as a part of the community. Just the way they're, they're attacking the voting laws, just the way that they're doing everything to stay in power. And we will be a wedge issue, believe me, in 2022. The religious right has not gone away. Uh, the institutions of churches uh, are one of the biggest contributors of, of the kind of homophobic culture that I grew up in and still is imprinted in many, many people. That is not to say that the spiritual values of, 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 of some of the institutionalized religions have not become allies, but don't be fooled. Religion will be playing its role as it always has. And it's a dangerous, dangerous time. And all of us who are political, all of us who identify in whatever the words and language of today need to know that we have to fight like hell to protect the, the, the rights that we have gained. And we need to ally with other people, other groups of people that are fighting like hell to be visible and have equality in this country. That's the message of the Gay Liberation Front in my, in my point of view. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. We really appreciate it. Okay, once again, you're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun show here on listener-sponsored, commercial-free radio, WBAI. We're here every Tuesday afternoon at 2.30, bringing you the latest in gun violence prevention movement news and stories. Next up, we have a special report on the Queer Liberation March with J.W. Walker. And welcome, Jay, back to Radio Gag. How are you? I'm great, Ty. How are you? I am great. I'm great. I'm getting ready for Pride Month. Yeah, it's an, it's an exciting month. Uh, you know, once again, like last year, there are so many, um, so many things going on. Um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm obviously one of the organizers of the third annual Queer Liberation March, uh, which will be on Pride Sunday. Uh, and starting at Bryant Park, people are going to begin gathering at 2.30. Uh, and then we will march down uh, to uh, the village. Great. How would you pitch this uh, march to someone who hadn't heard of QLM before? Uh, I would say um, that the Queer Liberation March is, um, and it is an attempt, and I think so far a successful attempt in many ways, uh, to take us back to the garden, uh, as the song goes, uh, to return uh, the annual Pride March back to the roots in the original Christopher Street Liberation Day March, uh, which took place one year after the Stonewall um, uprising. Uh, and so we're not a parade. Um, we don't have floats. Um, we don't have, uh, we, we uh, uh, demand that uh, interlocking French-style bike rack barricades uh, not be placed along our route to keep um, the public out of our march. Um, you know, we're the original uh, one of the original chants that people used to um, uh, used to chant in the early days of the Pride March was "Off the sidewalks into the streets," and we've returned to that model. Uh, so we're not a, we're not a, a spectacle for uh, straight and cis people to gawk at. Um, we don't have uh, any corporate involvement, no corporate funding, nor any 
um, uh, sort of uh, corporate sponsorship or really corporate presence in our march. Um, and we don't, uh, we uh, request that the NYPD, uh, you know, we recognize that we're a large event. We had about 45,000 people marching with us in, in our first uh, Queer Liberation March in 2019. We had about 50,000 people marching last year. Uh, so we recognize that we are a large city event. And so we know that the NYPD will have, will have to have um, some sort of presence there. Uh, but we demand that they keep it to the barest minimum just to do the things they're required to do, that we not have a sea of law enforcement uh, blanketing the streets around our march, um, and um, that we absolutely do not uh, have uh, armed and uniformed officers marching with us. Um, but from a community standpoint, that's all for a sort of community safety and accessibility um, standpoint that we have those those rules. But from a purely community um, standpoint, um, one of the biggest problems with the Heritage of Pride parade is that it is so um, so contingent and sectioned off that you kind of arrive at the staging area with the people that you're marching with because only registered groups can march in the Heritage of Pride Parade. You have to pay a registration fee. You, you know, they in the past tried to limit the number of people that can march in a group. Um, so only an organization can march. Um, so there's no way for an individual to march in the Heritage of Pride Parade. And you arrive at the, at the staging area uh, uh, with your group, you stay in that staging area with your group, then you wait, you know, anywhere from half an hour to three hours before you are allowed to march out onto the actual uh, parade route. Um, and then usually there is the, the group that was ahead of you is a, is a half a block to a block ahead of you. The group that's behind you is a half a block to a block behind you. And then um, now that they've decoupled the Heritage of Pride Parade from the Pride Festival, um, when you when you get to the end point of of the parade, there's nothing there. So you just sort of disperse into nothing. With the Queer Liberation March, what we do is everyone marches together. Um, when people aren't sectioned off. Um, and so, you know, people always talk about the LGBTQ community in the singular. And the truth is that we are a thousand different communities, you know, um, right. uh, where we're together because, you know, on, on, on ethnic lines, racial lines, gender lines, sexual lines, national origin lines, language lines, and socioeconomic lines. You know, we're all these different communities. And what we see with the Queer Liberation March is an opportunity for all of those communities to actually come together as one community for that one day and to meet each other and to learn about each other and to hear other people's stories that are that are vastly different from one's own uh, even though your sexuality may be similar your your um uh your your gender expression might be similar your life experiences can be wildly different and so that's what we think that the the Queer Liberation March provides that the traditional heritage of pride parade uh lost long ago Great. And I know you've been doing a lot of planning with that as well. What is GAG's um, part this year? 
this year gag is going to uh, is going to have um, a group of gaggers marching. Uh, our human beings will be representing uh, the um, uh, trans uh, women, mostly black, black and brown trans women uh, who have been murdered by gun violence so far this year. Uh, it's uh, over 20 now. Um, it's sad to say that it's, 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 it's entirely possible, if not probable, that between now and Pride Sunday, they, there, there will be more. Um, this this horrible trend has been um, going on for years. Uh, trans folks have become this this sort of massive cultural scapegoat, particularly um, black and brown trans women, um, and so they're facing uh, just this unrelent unrelenting litany of violence. And we feel it really necessary for our human beings to represent to represent them. I appreciate everything that you've done to help organize this last few years. Thank you, Ty. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's definitely a, uh, it's a labor of love, love for this community, right. for all of our community. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on Twitter. Go to our website to learn more about our gag missions, events, and fundraising. Also be sure to check out our Human Beings Facebook page where we honor all lives lost to gun violence. Come to a meeting. Here in New York, we meet every other Thursday at 7 p.m. Our next meeting is this Thursday, the 24th of June, where we will be planning all kinds of great action and protests. So please join us. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag events. And another great way to get involved is by becoming a WBAI buddy. A WBAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by giving a small donation every month. And just a modest monthly contribution can really help keep us on air here at WBAI to bring you this live show every week. Just go to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Thank you. What's one of your favorite pride memories? Me? Yeah. I'll tell you something, one of my favorite pride memories was right in 2016 when I didn't really know anything about gag and I do I float around and we we'll go throughout the whole march and there I saw this amazing group of human beings at the front of the march and said this is my group and that was it I stuck with them for the whole march and I loved it and I came back for the big big meeting at the center and I've been with them ever since that was very revelatory for me to find this amazing group of people that was one of my best experiences in, in like 40 years of prides. Wow, that's yeah. great. How many prides have you done? Do you, I mean, have you always had a pride each year or? Well, I think I've been doing them since 1975. <laughs> Back in the days when it was Sizzlevick, Christopher Street Liberation Day Committee organizing before pop, before hop existed. Yeah. Since I, since I was a kid in my 20s. Thanks for listening, and we are back next Tuesday and every Tuesday at 2.30 p.m. And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows anytime you want on WBAI website or on any major podcast platform. We leave you with our fabulous political singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Have a good day, and thanks for joining us, Shep. Happy Pride, Ty. Happy Pride.
Let's bring the rainbow here. 